uh, we'd like to welcome you all uh, on behalf of ASA and the Short-Term Insurance Committee um, to our sessional meeting, which will focus on QUISC 1. Um, so we've got the pleasure of having Ian Marshall with us today. Uh, so he's going to talk about um, the, the QUISC 1, um, the, the results from the FSB report uh, from, from the regulatory perspective. And, and then um, we after that, we have a split session. So on the non-life side, we'll have uh, Ernest, uh, Ernest North from, uh, from EY, and he will be talking about uh, the, the practical challenges that some of his clients have faced when they, when they looked at the Quiz 1 exercise, and also potentially um, challenge some of the, uh, the, the workings of the standard formula, and also the, maybe talk about um, the way forward for Quiz 2. Um, on the same, same hand, we, we have David Park from uh, Deloitte. He will, he will conduct the uh, live session. Uh, which will be in, in a different room. Welcome, Ian. Thank you. Okay, uh, thank you for the round of applause beforehand. So in case I don't get one at the end, at least I've got one. Um, I think, uh, yeah, well, I mean, what, what, what I really want to do today is, is actually just talk through the, uh, the SA Quiz 1 report. And uh, to, to, to some extent, really, this, uh, this presentation is just a, a sort of a cut and paste, if, you, if you'd like, of the highlights of, uh, of what's in the report. So I, I sort of assume that you've all read the report uh, a couple of times, and uh, especially over Christmas when you had lo loads of time and uh, nothing else to do, um, in case you were, you know, stuck with time. I sort of made the assumption that, that you'd read through the report. But uh, nonetheless, uh, uh, what I'd like to do today, as I said, just go through the report. Um, the, the, the structure of what I'm going to talk to uh, today is um, is pretty much in line with uh, the, the structure of the report. Um, I have moved some of the things around. I've added one or two extra graphs where I thought they they added some value. Um, okay. In 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 terms of the in introduction, I mean, uh, nothing much to say here that uh, that that I think you you don't already know, but. Just, just to recap, uh, I mean, what, what Quiz 1 is, is actually trying to do is, um, is to look at the, the impact of, uh, you know, of, of, of the SAM framework. Um, now, having said that, uh, it is the first quantitative impact study. Um, there was also quite a, you, you know, there wasn't that much time before the, the study actually took place. So a, a lot of the, um, a, a lot of the study was taken directly from the European uh, Quiz 5 study. So, um, in, including some of the parameters uh, where, where we didn't have updated parameters. So, uh, that, that's also just a, a pinch of salt with the, with the exercise. Um, uh, I, I think in the, in the next quantitative impact study, we'd, we'd have more of a sort of a South African um, parameterization, hopefully, for, for a lot of the areas. Um, I, I think one thing that did, uh, that, that I did find uh, very promising is the, the high level of participation. Um, so we, we had uh, all together, we used 95 um, submissions, which uh, I, I think was very good. So we had 40 on the, on the live side, 55 on the, on the non-live side. Um, and uh, whereas the, the 95 is, is, is roughly about 50% of the uh, licensed entities that we, we have here, uh, it, it represented more than 90% of the, the volume of the, the industry by premium. So, uh, so I think that's, uh, you know, it just goes to show that, that a lot of hard work has been done by the, by the industry and there's, there's a lot of buying by the industry. And for that, we, you know, we're really pleased. And I think going forward in, 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 the, in the following, uh, quiz studies, you, you know, if we build up on, on, on that enthusiasm, I think we'll get really good results in, in, in the following quantitative impact studies. I think just a general point, um, 
if, if there are any questions, I'm, I'm happy to take them throughout, although that does mean that somebody's going to have to run around with a mic. Um, alternatively, you could save them up for afterwards. But if, if, if you do feel a burning question, I, I think it's worth, worth asking while we, while we go through it. Okay, as, as I said, uh, this, this follows very much the, the actual form of the report. Um, so I'm going to start off with uh, just a bit on the scope and limitations. Uh, overview, so that's really the, the results that we put forward in the executive summary. And then just uh, work through the various parts of the, the balance sheet um, uh, effectively. Okay, uh, so as I said, uh, very, very good participation, uh, 95 in total, um, split out relatively well between life and non-life insurers. Uh, we also had uh, reinsurers. And in case you're wondering, for, for the reinsurers, what, what we did is uh, um, where there, there's a reinsurer that does both life and non-life, we treated them as, you know, as two separate entities. Uh, so, so, so that's how the numbering worked over there. Um, it is worth mentioning that we did have uh, a couple of submissions that we had to exclude from the results. Um, so what, one was where we had we actually had two submissions done on different bases. So we chose the bases with the, the basis that we thought was was most realistic going forward. And uh, for another firm, um, well, they did the wrong. They they, they filled in the wrong uh, spreadsheet, so we couldn't actually use the results in our aggregation tools. Um, but apart from that, we, as I said, we we, we had a good uh, good set of submissions. Um, I, I mean, one thing that we did find is is that uh, I mean the, the the technical specification, as I said, pretty much followed the the European uh, quantitative impact study. So there were a number of areas where I think we probably should have provided a bit more guidance and explanations in terms of what we meant by certain terms and so on. So it is something that we're working on for Chris too. But I think that it had a knock-on impact that in some areas where there was room for interpretation, you know, different companies might have had different interpretations or some firms may not have been entirely sure what to fill in in some of the areas. So. We did go through a process uh, whereby we um, had a couple of checks. So, so for example, we did uh, checks uh, back to the uh, current statutory returns. We also um, did some uh, simple uh, uh, ratios and things and looked for outliers. And, and we basically built up a big issues log. And for each one of those issues, we, we went into it. And for, for some of the results, we actually changed the submissions that we got where we saw that there were errors. So, I mean, examples were... Um, numbers being filled in in rands instead of thousands or millions instead of thousands or or, or whatever so there were some areas where there, where there were obvious um issues one or two places where we went back to firms to to ask for uh, to ask questions um and then there were some places where for example due to a lack of information we just made assumptions about uh, uh, about what, what what firms were were doing um so, as I said, I think there's 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 probably room for improvement going forward in both uh, in terms of the actual technical specification in, in, in terms of providing more guidance, and then uh, the, the knock-on of that would be getting more uh, consistent data. Um, I mean, one thing that I did actually find quite interesting is is that a lot of the insurers, even though there were a number of shortcomings uh, in the data and in the methodologies in, in terms of uh, simplifications being used that uh, a lot of the insurers still uh, reported that the reliability of the results were, were generally good. So I thought that was quite quite an interesting point. Okay, um, so the results. Uh, I mean, basically what I'm going to be saying in the next two slides is, is actually summarizing what I'm going to then uh, go into in a bit of more detail in, in the remainder of the slides. Um, but in, in a snapshot, you know, th this table really summarizes the, the results. Now, I have to um, apologize because I think probably 
everyone in the sec second half of this room won't be able to read this. In fact, if you do a quick poll, who, who can actually read what's what's on here, just so that I know? Okay, not as bad as I thought. I think there's some people at the back with really good eyesight and some people towards the front with not that good eyesight, but work around that. Um, okay, so, so I mean, what, what this table is really doing is it's, it's showing the impact of uh, all the submissions that we received, so sort of the, the aggregate picture. Um, and really what it's showing is is that on the life side, there's been a uh, quite a significant increase in the available capital. Uh, so there's been uh, quite a significant increase in the available capital, uh, but also a very significant increase in the capital requirement. And sort of the offset of that is that there's actually less uh, free capital available on the on the life side. On the non-life side, similar type of story, uh, not as uh, much on the available capital side, but more on the capital requirement side. Um, once again, uh, showing less free surplus in absolute amounts. And then uh, if, you, if you add the two together, I mean, once again, you've got more available capital, uh, however, a higher capital requirement and a, uh, a lower free surplus. I mean, but having said that, uh, the, the aggregate picture does hide uh, a, a lot of the detail actually coming through. If you actually look at the the, the, the number of firms that show an increase, the number of firms that show a decrease, and uh, that table, it's not in the presentation, but it is in the report. You'll actually see that on the life side, most firms are better off. So I do think that the, uh, the table as is, uh, um, I think there, there, there are a couple of big firms where um, there are specific items uh, that are still being ironed out in the, uh, in the framework, um, which has resulted in, in quite big uh, sort of decreases either in available capital or increase in capital requirement, which is offsetting it. Uh, but on the life side, if, if, if you have a look at the uh, what's happening to most firms, is, is that the, there's the big increase in available capital, and that is really being uh, driven by the removal of the margins. So at the moment, on the uh, FSD basis, um, the, the prudential margins are being uh, removed, and the zeroization is also being removed, um, which is leading to lower technical provisions, uh, low technical provisions leading to higher own funds, uh, which is effectively your available capital. Um, so, on uh, in 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 total, there there are about two thirds of the life insurers are, are better off in terms of the absolute amount of free surplus they have left. However, if you actually go into the report, you'll also see that two uh, two thirds of the life insurers actually have a worse uh, capital coverage ratio. Um, so that might seem a bit odd that you've got those two. Uh, those two positions, but it's actually just a very simple um, mathematical thing because you've got a higher number divided by a higher number, which actually gives you a lower ratio. So you need to be a bit careful when you actually look at, um, you know, has my ratio increased or has the actual amount of surplus that I have increased? Because you could get, or you know, different views depending on on which basis you look at. Okay, uh, I mean, in terms of the non-life insurers, if you actually have a look at uh, our firms better off or worse off, you know, on an, an, on an individual basis, you'll find that about 70% of the firms are worse off um, on on the absolute basis. So whereas for the, for the life insurer, if you're a life insurer, you're more likely to be better off. For a non-life insurer, you're more likely to be worse off. And that's, I mean, that's primarily driven by the uh, by the increase in capital requirement. So of the 55 firms that we, we had, 53 of them showed a higher capital requirement, and that's the capital requirement based on the 25% of premium, not the 15%.
Um, so, so there's the, the, the SCR, which, which is looking at the, the market risk and the operational risk and the default risk, as well as the non-life underwriting risk, is leading to a much higher capital requirement than the, uh, the, than the current basis. Uh, and just bear in mind that this was done before the interim measures uh, came through. So this is uh, before the, the current formula that we have uh, as of the beginning of this year. Okay, so as I said, that's in a summary what I'm going to be talking about for the rest of my talk. Um, also worth mentioning that not all firms are in the lucky position of uh, being solvent under under Quiz One. Um, so what what we've had is uh, for for both the life and the non-life, there are two firms that don't meet the MCR, and on the life uh, side there are further five firms that don't meet the SCR, and on the non-life side of further eight firms that don't meet the SCR. Are there any questions at this point before I go into the the sort of the components of the uh, the exercise? Good. I'll take that as a as a good explanation then. Um, okay, so, so what we've done, and you'll find these, uh, these graphs, uh, both in this presentation and also in the, uh, in the actual report. But effectively what, what we have here is the, the sort of the gold or brown, I can't quite make out what color it is, uh, shows the, the 10 to 90th percentile range. And the blue, uh, the dark blue shows the, the interquartile range. So between 25 and 75. And then there's a, a ball and a diamond. The ball shows the uh, the average, and the diamond shows the median. And what effectively this is doing is it's looking at the ratio of quiz one over current. Uh, so for the technical provisions on the life side, I mean you you can just see uh, it's, it's 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 quite clear the the removal of the margins and the removal of the uh, of the zeroization uh, leads to to much lower technical provisions. Um, and and in some cases, uh, which is quite interesting as well, is a uh, is actually negative technical provisions. So I mean, it's, it's, it's quite difficult to get your, your head around that, but yeah, ne negative technical provisions on, on the live side. And I, I, I should probably point out of here that, you know, on, on the live side, it's, it's, it's a bit different to the non-live side because you've got a, a, a longer period. So effectively what you're doing is you're capitalizing all your margins, all your profit margins that you expect to make on your life policies all the way through, um, and, and you, you're effectively treating that as capital. Um, of course, having said that, what you're also doing is you're taking all the risks to those future profits, which is quite significant, and treating that as, you know, uh, that you need to hold money for, for that risk. Uh, on the non-life side, uh, probably due to the much shorter uh, contracts, uh, the, the variation's been, been a lot less. Um, and then some of the things that we've highlighted uh, and, and that we'll uh, look at in, in Quiz 2 is um, th there were some inconsistencies in the treatment of the uh, cashback bonuses, uh, especially on the non-life side, and uh, we've also um, we, we're busy looking at, at different options for for contract boundaries under Quiz Two. Um, okay, looking at the technical provisions in terms of uh, how that's split between the best estimate and the and the risk margin, uh, what we've done here is uh, for the firms that don't have negative technical provisions. So, so we excluded the firms with negative technical provisions, uh, or at least the negative best estimate. And um, we've looked at how much uh, it actually comes from the from the risk margin and how much comes from the best estimate. And as you can see, it, it is mostly uh, coming from the um, best estimate. Um, and, and in fact, uh, I think one of the one of the statistics we have there, it's about uh, for for 60% of the insurers. The risk margin comprises less than five percent, so it's you no, know, it's, it's quite a small margin for most firms. But there are some firms um, where, where where that does get quite big. Um, 
I think it's, it's, it's probably worth saying uh, that for the where, where you get negative best estimate liabilities, you can sometimes get a bit of a, a strange result because your negative best estimate effectively leads to quite a high SCR, and that high SCR then gets fed into your risk margin. So you end up with this uh, sort of having a high risk margin and having a high uh, SCR, which can lead to some strange results. So we did actually find that for a number of firms, um, there, there, there were some, some strange results, uh, you know, coming from a, a big negative best estimate. Um, and and it, it led to some uh, results that, that aren't really intuitive. So, so that's also something that we're looking at in quiz two. In, in terms of technical provisions, are there, are there any questions about this? Uh, I mean, another thing which, which I haven't actually mentioned, which um, would be interesting to hear, especially in, in the next session, is um, on, on the non-life side, it, it seems to come through that a lot of the firms didn't use a, a sort of a, a discounted cash flow approach to the calculation of technical provisions, but rather sort of the usual IBNR um, uh, unknown premium uh, reserves and, uh, and, and so forth. And it would be interesting to, to actually see in, in practice whether that was one of the areas where there, there were issues. Um, but as I said, on, on, on the technical provisions, are there, are there any questions? In terms of the own funds, I mean, this is really a corollary from, uh, from, from the previous section. Uh, and, and, and that's also why I've moved it a bit forward in, in this, uh, in the presentation and in the report. It's, it's more towards the back. But I mean, you, you can really see the, the negative technical or Negative the the much lower technical provisions coming through, uh, especially for the for the life uh, for the life insurers. Um, apart from uh, apart from that, the the other thing which is is worth mentioning is that uh, there, there were a, there were a number of firms that uh, didn't actually tier the capital. Uh, so in, in in the quiz one spreadsheet, what you had is on on the valuations tab, you set out your assets, uh, your liabilities. And then that feeds through into your own funds. And then at the bottom of the own funds section, there's there's some exclusions for uh, for certain own funds. And then uh, there is a uh, effectively what you need to do is you need to tier, which uh, which which uh, uh, you know whether your own funds is tier one, tier two, or tier three. And there there were a number of firms uh, where where that wasn't done. So so it's another area where we want to add uh, maybe a bit more guidance. Um, but uh, what we did do for the what we did do for the report is that we actually made the assumption that where firms haven't specified what type of uh, own funds they have, that they have tier one own funds. So I mean, it is it is quite a uh, heroic assumption, I guess. Um, but uh, I think we we didn't really have uh, have much choice there. I mean, we did we did look into some of them uh, specifically, and we we thought that they most likely to be tier one. Uh, own funds for some of them, but uh, we, we in the end we decided to to just move them all to tier one, and uh, because of that, there there hasn't really been a big difference between the eligible own funds and the basic own funds. Uh, so just just to uh, clarify what that is, is the the eligible own funds is a subset of the basic own funds plus an amount of ancillary own funds, um, which uh, is what you can actually use to meet your SCR. So you can't actually meet use all your basic own funds to meet your SCR uh, because some of it due to uh, it not being available uh, or not being able to absorb losses uh, can't all be uh, used to, to actually meet the, the capital requirements. So uh, yes, another area where we want to add a bit more about uh, about tiering of own funds. Okay. Um,
Then uh, this is, uh, there was also a section on the valuation of assets and other liabilities. I think uh, in, in terms of the valuation of assets, there, there weren't that many uh, differences, and you, you can see through the uh, through the slides, it's, it's a relatively narrow band. So, so the valuation of assets uh, is very similar to the uh, under Quiz One is very similar to the the current FSB basis. Um, in terms of valuation of other liabilities, the, the biggest changes that we saw coming through uh, was was really through different treatments of uh, deferred deferred tax assets and deferred tax liabilities. Um, so, so once again, uh, what what we want to do is is have a much clearer um, assumption about the treatment of uh, of tax in the quiz two results, so that we can get data on a on a consistent basis, and also so that can uh, feed into our deliberations that we are currently having about uh, the the tax basis to be used. Um, just another thing uh, that's probably worth mentioning on the assets, uh, we un under quiz one, the uh, the the reinsurance is is not treated as a negative. Um, uh, liability, but rather as a positive asset. Um, so, so that's also something that's been a bit different, and we've also had some firms treating it as a negative liability and some treating it as an asset. So we've also had to make some adjustments to actually get uh, comparable numbers as well. Okay. Uh, then moving over to, uh, to 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 an interesting one, uh, the the SCR. Um, okay. So so what we've done in in this slide, uh, and and I. I should add that this slide isn't actually included in the in the report. I've just included it because I think it, it adds uh, adds some value. Uh, probably should have included in the report. Um, but what it does is uh, just compares what the what the SCR is uh, compared to the current capital requirements. So on on the life that would be the car, and on the non-life that would be the uh, the fifteen percent plus ten percent contingency reserve. Uh, Right, and as as we can see from this, is is that the uh, the numbers are, are are much higher under the uh, under Quiz One. So so the capital requirements are higher, but this needs to be looked at in combination with the fact that the own funds are much higher. So if you if you look back at the own funds, as you can see on on the life on the life side, the own funds is all higher. It's all above that red line. And uh, sorry, I should have mentioned earlier, but the red line is effectively the same level. So that's hundred percent. Uh, so, so the red line would be the same under Quiz One as it is under uh, under the current FSB basis. So you can see that there are a lot more owned funds, um, but those owned funds are there to meet the higher capital requirements. And uh, as, as as I mentioned earlier, with the non-life insurers, especially uh, the capital requirements uh, for just about all of the firms was uh, was was higher than the uh, than the current twenty five percent. Okay. Uh, the next couple of slides, what I want to do is just show a breakdown of, of where this capital requirement actually comes from. So, which risks are driving the uh, the capital requirement? Um, so, apologies, this is quite a small slide, so I'm not going to ask people to put up hands about who can see this and who can't. Um, but effectively, uh, what this is doing is uh, it's showing the breakdown for life insurers on the left hand side, uh, non life insurers on the right hand side, just in terms of which risk categories. Is actually driving the, uh, the 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 main risk. So for the the life side, uh, the the two biggest ones uh, were well, first of all, market risk, and then uh, second of all, life underwriting risk. And then if you if you have a look at the uh, the non-life side, uh, you can see that it is mostly non-life underwriting risk, uh, followed by by market risk as well. And uh, I should mention that the the brown slash gold. Uh, Negative block is, is obviously the diversification between the, the risk classes. 
Um, breaking that down even further, on the live side, you can see that uh, it's uh, a lot of it's coming from from equity risk, um, with the with the others uh, interest rate risk a bit. So interest rates the second one, um, but it's, it's really the the equity risk driving it. Um, and uh, th this is uh, after management actions, also by the way. So so there's there's obviously in in, in the report if you if you look into it you'll see that uh, on on the live side that there's quite a uh, difference between the uh, before management actions and after management actions. It's obviously through the with profit funds where you can take uh, various various actions to to reduce the the impact of of uh, stresses. Um, and then an interesting uh, one on the life underwriting risk is is that the majority of life underwriting risk is ac is actually coming from uh, from lapse risk. Um, and this has to do with the fact that under the uh, under the framework. As, as I mentioned earlier, what you're doing by removing all the margins and removing the zeroization, uh, you know, you're effectively treating future profits as a uh, as, as as a source of capital, and then but that capital is at risk from uh, from higher levels higher levels of lapses. So uh, so a lot of the life underwriting risk is actually driven by lapse risk rather than uh, the kind of risks that you typically imagine, such as uh, well mortality. Uh, on the non-life side. So as, as I said, uh, on, on the non-life side, the two main risk drivers were firstly the uh, non-life underwriting risk, and secondly the uh, the market risk. I mean, if I, if I touch on the market risk first, uh, once again, quite a big uh, part of this market risk is actually coming from uh, significant holdings in in equities. So uh, that's it's, it's actually something which is uh, uh, which I was quite surprised by. Um, I, I didn't realize the equity holdings on the on the non-life side was as big as it is, but uh, but then, as I said, that's coming through effectively in the uh, requirement to hold more capital to back the uh, volatility of uh, you know of, of that asset class. Um, on the non-life side, um, effectively, what what we've done in in Quiz One is that we've mostly actually used the uh, the European um, parameters. So so we are going through an exercise of uh, trying to recalibrate. That to to South African experience and uh, South African exposures, uh, um, yeah. So so hopefully we can get a you know something that is maybe a bit more relevant to to the South African market. But uh, effectively the, the the different types of non-life uh, uh, underwriting risk was coming through in the premium and reserving risk, and in the cat risk, and then in the cat risk obviously you've got it split out by man-made and uh, um, natural catastrophes. Uh, so the report goes into a bit more detail about. You know what's driving those, uh, but for the for the natural catastrophes, they were pretty evenly spread out um, over the, uh, the the windstorm, the hail, the flood, and uh, fire, earthquake. Thanks, Eugene. Um, and then on the uh, non-life side, uh, interestingly enough, it was uh, terrorism and credit risks that were actually driving the man-made catastrophe component. Um, so as as I said, I, I think uh, going forward, hopefully we can get a uh, a better picture of, of South African exposures um, uh, once we've done the the South African parameterization of that. Are there any questions on the SCR before I move on to the last bit? Hi, um, this is more of a comment rather than a question. Um, what would be really interesting to see is how the ordering of these risks under the SCR formula compares to the current ordering, particularly on the life side of PGN 104, just to get an understanding of what the largest risk perceived under the SCR and SAM are compared to the 
largest risk currently perceived. Have you thought about doing that? We, we have. We actually did a bit of a mapping exercise as well. Um, because with the, with the current, uh, risk, you, you've got, you've obviously got your, your TSCR and your, uh, your OCAR and so on. Um, but I, I mean, I think, I think, and, and, and also the, that, that they are a bit different, that the actual risk categories. So we did look at, um, sort of mapping the risk categories to, to the risks, but we haven't actually done that. But I, I mean, mainly, uh, the, the car is driven uh, you know, in terms of the OCAR, you know, that, that is mainly driven by market risks. Um, so I guess it's, it's probably not, not that surprising. I think the, the more interesting, uh, side would, would actually be the non-life side, because on, on the non-life side, at the moment, you know, you've got, well, at least when we compare this, it was just 25% of, of premium, and now you can actually see, you know, where is that risk coming from? So, so I think uh, over there, there's, there's a bit more difference. I mean, I, I think on the, just going back to, to the life side, um, I think some of the uh, stresses themselves are a bit more extreme under the SCR. And then I think also the impact of the stresses are more extreme because you've taken account of all these, you know, because you've, you've basically ripped out all your margins. That means that the once you apply that stress, then, then you lose a lot, a lot of the profits. And uh, uh, Any other questions on the SCR? I have to admit to not having read the report in detail. Um, I was just interested in, in that SCR split on the life side between all the different risks. Have you given thought to actually compare that between different types of insurers? I'm thinking linked only insurers and, and traditional and maybe funeral only, etc. That would also be some interesting reading, I suspect. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So, so once again, we, we, we haven't really, uh, done that. Um, but, uh, I mean, we, we are doing some work on, uh, on linked only insurers. Um, but, but yes, no, I absolutely agree. It, it will, uh, it's, a, it's one of the things that, that we need to have a look at to, to sort of understand, uh, you know, what, what that risk profile looks like. Do you, do you mean the, the life underwriting part or the market part or both? Yeah. I mean, I, I think to, to a large extent, the, um, uh, the, the pattern will depend also on certain things that, that are still uncertain, uh, at the technical provisions, uh, on the technical provision side, so things like uh, contract boundaries and risk-free rates, uh, even though they directly impact the technical provisions, once you you stress them, it, it impacts uh, the, the the sort of the risk profile of uh, of the insurers. So so typically, if you if you were to use a shorter contract boundary on uh, you know sort of linked-only business, then once you apply your stresses, they'll look completely different to uh, to what you do if you if you have a long contract boundary. You know, especially on on the market side, so you, you get a sort of a secondary effect um, because you you basically lose all your your future profits uh, or you know a large chunk of your future profits on a longer contract boundary. Whereas if you've got a shorter contract boundary, you don't take those future profits into account in the first place. Um, but but yeah, I, I mean we we need to do a bit more digging. And uh, as I said, especially on the life side, we uh, we we are doing uh, uh, some work and then. Um, I suppose for the assistance uh, insurers, I think a lot of them will probably fall under the uh, the micro insurance legislation uh, going forward as as well. So, and also we didn't actually have that many assistance uh, writers actually perform perform the quiz one exercise. Any other questions? Yeah, one more question. You spoke earlier about uh, the tax basis creating some inconsistencies in the results. Um, or, 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 or big implications in the results. And I think there were some big moving parts within tax. 
and you're looking to say that you want to make that more consistent going forward, have you given some thought as to what basis that may be? I imagine SARS themselves are many years behind. What would be your sense? I mean, an IFRS basis or? Um, yes, yeah, so I, I happen to uh, notice that the, the chairman of the, the tax task group is, is in the room, so I'm, I'm not actually going to say anything in case case he shouts at me later. But I mean, effectively, as you say, what, what we want to do in the, uh, in the second quantitative impact study is actually clarify, you know, oh, you know, to use a IFRS basis or whether to use a, a statutory basis in terms of, of calculating the, 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 the tax. Uh, and I think it's also worth saying that just because we test that in quiz two, that doesn't mean that that will necessarily be where it ends up. Now, I think for us, more importantly, it's just getting the right information on a consistent basis so that that can feed into our decision-making process. But, uh, but yes, as, as you say, we, we do have a, a specific task group uh, looking at the tax basis. Um, under that task group, there are four different working groups. Um, the SARS are heavily involved. Uh, National Treasury will be heavily involved as well. And uh, we'll, uh, yeah, we, we'll... we'll have, have an approach for quiz two and, and that, as I said, will feed into to our approach forward in, in finalizing what tax basis. Uh, question at the front. Just on a non-life side, the catastrophe, do you ever got an indication of how many insurers use the factor-based method? Because obviously that's a lot more penal. Um, I don't offhand, I don't know if Eugene has... I know, I know that Nine used the uh, um, the the, the, the Australian approach, um, but that's just additional information that doesn't actually feed in through to the, to the calculation. Um, I guess that's just something to keep in mind when you look at the results for course two, how many insurers actually modeled the catastrophe risk more accurately? Um, I think I'll uh, carry on. I just have a few more slides left, um, and then after that, there, there's some time for more questions needed. In, in terms of the MCR, um, so, so the, the minimum capital requirement uh, is uh, the amount which, uh, at, at which point, if, if you breach that, then uh, the, the the regulator needs to take uh, uh, a serious look at some um, uh, at, at at the company. Um, so it's sort of the bottom level. If you think of the ladder of uh, intervention or ladder of regulatory intervention, um, the idea is is that you know you don't you don't close shop if you breach the SCR. Uh, but you do, uh, they're, they're very definite actions that you would need to take if, if you breach the MCR. Um, and effectively what it is, is it's a, it's a relatively simple linear formula, and it's, uh, it's sort of capped at 45% of the SCR, the top, and capped at 25% uh, 25, uh, 25 at the bottom. And uh, what, what I've done in the table is, is just to pull out uh, of the firms uh, for their MCRs, you know, effectively where, where are they? Um, there, there's also a minimum amount uh, uh, for, for smaller insurers. So uh, the, the, the table just shows how many uh, actually uh, are hit by the, by the caps, both on the, on the bottom and the top. The interesting thing for me was that only two of the life insurers actually fall in between the 25 and the 45% of the SCR, and they all seem to be hit by the cap, uh, either the minimum or the, or the maximum. Um, but, but yes, I, I mean, I, I think in, in terms of the, the feedback that we've had, I mean, some people have said that the parameters seem to be relatively arbitrary and not much thought has been put into the actual calibration. Um, I, I mean, I, I think the, the, the thing about the MCR is, is it's, it's something that you need to be able to calculate quite quickly and quite, uh, quite simply uh, because it is that 
bottom step of the uh, regulatory intervention uh, ladder um, so that it is, you know, it is something that you can uh, at any point in time actually have a very good idea about where the MCR is. That's also why the in, in, in the frame of the MCR is uh, is reported on a, on a quarterly basis. But uh, as, as I said, this is, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think it, it, it shows, it just gives an idea about how the how the linear formula compares to you know to to the caps and the floors. Then, in terms of internal models, um, uh, what we did have with the uh, quiz one exercise was that we had a, uh, a specific uh, questionnaire and a specific uh, part of the spreadsheet as well for uh, firms that did have internal model results. I think it's instead um, said that not not many firms uh, did include that, but then again, we didn't uh, really expect a lot of firms to do it because first of all, there's a lot of uh, th there's a lot of work uh, just to do the the quiz one submission, uh, given that it's the first submission, and uh, and also not 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 all the firms are going down the internal model route, at least not uh, you know not immediately. Uh, so, but but nonetheless, some firms did provide uh, information, and um, especially on the non-life side, more than uh, more so than on the live side, and the table uh, looks at only actually at the uh, at the non-life side. Um, and what we've done in the table is to actually compare the uh, whether the numbers are, are higher or lower. You know, if you look at internal model versus uh, this, the standard formula result. Um, and and I, I do need to highlight with this um, that not all firms provided numbers for internal models for all parts um, of, of the calculation. So, for example, some, some firms only provided, let's say, non-life underwriting risk. So, so the numbers that are, that are compared over here are, are only for where numbers were provided. So, if if you look at the overall SCR, there were only four firms that provided an overall SCR number, and that number. Uh, so, for three of them, the internal model showed less capital, and for one of them, the internal model showed higher capital. So, so that's how to read the table. Um, given that these were mostly non-life firms, the the biggest component is the non-life underwriting risk, and uh, the you can see from that that well eight of the firms that provided the non-life underwriting risk component showed a, a lower capital requirement than the standard formula. Only one firm showed a higher capital requirement than the, than the standard formula with their internal model. Um, so so if effectively what this means is is that that firms think that their internal models uh, you know give give lower capital than than what they should get through the standard formula. Um, there were certain areas where they give a bit more, but uh, in in general, it, it it was it was a bit less. And then uh, finally, just to conclude, uh, so so as I said in the beginning, we we're very pleased with the participation that we've had from uh, from industry. I mean, uh, as I said, over ninety percent of the the industry by uh, by volume of premium. So so that's that's very good. Um, but as many of you uh, know, Quizchu is already gathering pace. And uh, the, the rough time table for Quiz 2 is effectively that we aim to have a technical specification out in in May. We'll uh, release the spreadsheet in June, and then I guess it's a bit like Groundhog Day, where it's you know all all over again um, uh, to to be completed by September, and then uh, we'll get the report out before the end of the year. Uh, in in terms of some of the uh, the high level items that we've uh, we've highlighted that we want to uh, we want to address in, in Quiz Two, apart from all the areas where I've mentioned uh, more guidance. Uh, we've also highlighted uh, we want to have a look at ring fenced funds. Uh, so uh, specifically looking at uh, 
at sell captives and also looking at um, with profit funds. Uh, we want to have a look at uh, different options for contract boundaries, uh, as, as was mentioned previously, treatment of tax. And then uh, interesting as well, uh, interesting one as well is uh, actually look at the group solvency position. So quiz one was uh, only looking at the solvency position of the licensed entities. Uh, so we want to uh, do do a, uh, a a few options on uh, what the what the solvency position. So you know, so what what would the group uh, own funds be? What would the group SCR be? And it's uh, it's quite tricky. Um, not that much actually in terms of the actual calculation, but more in terms of just understanding what is in, what is out, and how to treat different uh, types of uh, subsidiaries. So, for example, if something is a, uh, you know, whether something is a regulated insurance entity, regulated other financial services, non-financial services, or non-regulated financial services, and then you also have uh, issues with with participations and uh, you know, uh, joint ventures and, and things like that. So, so I think that's going to be. Uh, going to be a very interesting part of the quiz tree exercise as well. Um, and, uh, and that's really uh, all I have uh, for, for this session. So you know, we've had a few questions, but I'm very happy to take more questions. Uh, maybe one question from my side, Ian. Um, in terms of, at the beginning you mentioned they were on the live site and both the non-live site, there were 10 firms that didn't meet the SCR and two that didn't meet the um, MCR. Um, in, in terms of those firms, have there been any any discussion or feedback to them in terms of what this means from a, what is Quiz One and really uh, what, what does it mean for the future? Um, uh, good question. Uh, we we haven't had a, a chat with all of them. Um, we we did have with some of them. Um, I think with with some firms there is there are specific issues um, that, that that we're looking at and uh, how things are treated under solvency tree. Um, I mean, for for all the firms, they, they they did provide feedback in terms of what they think needs changing in the uh, in the structure. And uh, what what we've actually done is we've uh, we've built up a sort of a a quiz true log of issues. Um, you know, based on the the questions that we've got from them, based on other items that we know needed changing. We came up with it was first there was around about two hundred areas to look at in terms of what to fix for quiz true, and we've summarised that. Into 40, uh, 40 different areas that we now have, and that we're going to take to the steering committee on Wednesday to discuss. You know, so we do have a process of taking on board comments and uh, and actually looking at it critically in terms of, you know, what do we need to change in the quiz tree exercise? Because, you know, the worst thing will be is if if, if we've got the quiz tree exercise, we've got the same uh, calculation, we've got the same questionnaire, we get exactly the same answers, and then uh, you know, years gone by and we, we haven't actually made any changes. So I, th I think for uh, to actually get back to your question, we, we do have a process of, of looking at what needs to be changed. Uh, I think in terms of the underlying reasons for uh, for some of those firms not meeting their their SCR, I think some of the reasons uh, are, are because there are issues with the with with a, with, with a calculation, uh, you know, in, in terms of the, the details. And I, I think for some of them, um, you know, there are issues about uh, are are they actually running more risk than they thought they had in the first place? I'd say it's a combination of those two answers. Seeing as the mic's right here. In terms of the quality of the responses, so not, not the numbers, but the, uh, the sort of level of readiness of the industry in terms of the FSB's expectations through to a 2014 implementation, are we on track as an industry? Hoping to avoid that question. Um, yes, I, I mean, I, th I think, as, as I said in the beginning as well, um, I think I was, I was a bit surprised by 
uh, the self-assessment that was done by by many of the firms, um, given given the issues that were raised in terms of what where, where there were shortcomings, uh, I, I was I was a bit surprised um, because generally the the response that we got was that uh, there was a uh, that 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 firms thought the results were pretty reliable and that they had you know that they they seemed to be prepared, but that didn't quite tie in with some of the very specific comments on, on issues where there were shortages of data or not data not available to, to do certain calculations. Um, so yeah, I, I, th I think I, I think there are issues, but I think we'll we'll address them in quiz two. I think uh, going wider than the pillar one calculations, what we are trying to do, well, what we are doing rather this year as well is is that we'll have a uh, a specific look at what firms are doing on the pillar two side of things as well. Um, so, so quiz one's obviously very much pillar one side. It's looking at SCR. It's looking at the technical provisions, own funds, uh, and the MCR, and so on. Uh, but what we'd like to do as well is is actually find out how firms are preparing themselves on on the pillar two side. So, looking at uh, the governance uh, arrangements that they're putting in place. Uh, what what are they doing on on the also side of things as well? So, so that's an exercise that we'll be carrying out, and that'll give us more information as well as to the readiness of the uh, the industry. Um, the fifty percent that didn't participate, can one deduce anything from their non-participation? Is it likely they do worse than these? Um, I, I guess you could just speculate. I mean, I think some of them are uh, there. There are some companies in runoff, so uh, I think they probably don't have as much of a vested interest as, as others. Um, I guess it is possible that some firms did do the uh, calculations and then decided not to hand them in. Uh, although, to, to be honest, that would actually be counterproductive because if there are issues with the framework that has a negative effect on you, you know, you'd think that you'd want to highlight that because otherwise, if it's not addressed in quiz two or, or later, uh, it's just going to end up in the, in, in the actual framework. So hopefully firms that have had, uh, you know, issues hopefully have come to us and, uh, you know, with, with, with their quiz submissions so, so that we, we're aware of them. Okay. Uh, just one question at the back. Hi, and thanks for that presentation. I was hoping someone else will ask the question, but now I'll have to ask it myself. And you can opt out with the with the uh, fifth minute, so you can answer this. Obviously, you c you collect results to see how the quiz five factors provide some sort of reasonable estimate of the SCRs uh, for South Africa, and that input goes into the the quiz one spec. Can you talk a bit about the process and how do we get this one in two hundred year? You know, estimate. What is the process you follow behind the scenes to use the results to to kind of calibrate those, especially for the third country equivalents, please. Okay, thanks. Um, well, <laughs> uh, I I could pick on a number of people in the uh, the audience who are actually doing the work, um, but uh, I mean, it it depends on on the data that we have. So uh, so what what we've got is um, uh, the we've got. David uh, works on the, the capital requirements task group. He's got various working groups under them. Uh, basically, what they've been doing is writing a discussion document for uh, you know for each area of risk, looking not only at the parameters, but actually looking at the structure. So, for example, uh, just because you've got things like uh, I'll use the example of revision risk, you know, in Europe, does that mean that we need to have it over here? You know, uh, are there actually firms that have that risk? You know, so 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 it's not only looking at the parameters, but looking at the actual actual structures and 
also uh, the markets are very different. So if you if you look at things like um, uh, credit risk on on bonds, you know that that that. that that potentially could be very different in in Europe, where where the liquid uh, the market is maybe a lot more liquid compared to to the South African market. So we've been doing a lot of work um, behind the scenes in, in the discussion documents, in the you know in the working groups and the task groups, at actually uh, at trying to get the right structure. And then once we've got the structure, what we do is we also look at what data is available. Um, so uh, for example, at the moment the non-life uh, working group under David's working group has gone through through quite an exercise of collecting data uh, from the industry um, and uh, and we'll be using that data to actually um, you know to, to actually drive the the, the parameterizations um, I mean there are areas where we have got less data um, to be honest there were areas in the in the cult, uh, you know in in setting the standard formula for the for the European exercises where there was also not that much data you know, and, and, and assumptions need to be made. So, so there are um, some assumptions that are made, but those are well documented in the in in the discussion documents. Um, in terms of the equivalence assessments, um, the the principle that applies—I don't know the number of the principle—but effectively, it's something along the lines of uh, there's a solvency assessment and it's done at the 99.5% uh, confidence level. So, what what we are doing is we're tying in our discussion documents into the specific principle. Uh, that needs to be uh, complied with uh, for the equivalence assessment. So what we're not doing is we're not just taking the European parameters, you know, copy paste, uh, and, and that's what we're using. So so we do have, uh, you know, qu quite a quite a good system for for actually looking at uh, methodology and uh, and data to get the right parameters, and uh, and then feeding that through in, in our system. Thank you very much, Ian.